Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. The Suns fell to the Nuggets last night, 125 to 100, effectively ending their season. For some perspective and maybe some future the Suns conversation as well, we pop on out to the KDOS hotline joined by Doug Haller with The Athletic. Doug, it's Bob and Kayla. How are you on this morning? Good morning. Um, I'm, I'm good. I'm a little stunned by the way last night unfolded. Not that the Suns lost, but certainly how you described them as falling. I mean, it was it, it was a free fall for sure, just just with how they played yet another elimination game. Yeah, along those lines here, uh, the Nuggets did top the Suns 125-100 to 100 in Game 6 in Phoenix last night. The Nuggets set the tone with 44 points in the first quarter, 81 points for the half. How do we categorize this? The Suns overmatched, the Suns quit, the Suns fatigue finally caught up. How did you kind of see Game 6? I thought I think it's a combination of all of that. Um, you know, I, the Suns after they made the trade for Kevin Durant, um, you know, I think there were some things that were maybe overshadowed a bit, uh, particularly during the regular season and the eight games he played. Um, even during the first round uh, win in five games against the Clippers, just the failure to kind of put them put the Clippers away, a shorthanded Clippers team, and get those guys some rest. So going into the Denver series, I thought Denver was the better team. But, you know, just the reliance on, on Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, you had a feeling that, um, you know, those guys are good enough. They could certainly take a team a long way. But the supporting cast uh, just at the beginning of the series was questionable. And then they lost Kevin Durant, or then they lost Chris Paul to an injury. Then DeAndre Aiden didn't play. Um but at the same time, I don't know if that's an excuse for to come out and to be down at 30 points at halftime. Um, you know, that's kind of a, an organizational failure, I think, just, uh, just not being ready to play in a game that means so much. In fact, you wrote that uh, this morning at The Athletic, it's an organizational trademark, at least published this morning, um, and said uh, also you wrote that it's the type of effort that will pr- uh, provoke uh, tough conversations in the offseason, possibly including whether the head coach is right for the job. Is the head coach right for the job? That's, you know, Monty Williams has done so much uh, in just getting Phoenix out of that drought that they were in um, and getting them to this point. At the same time, uh, you know, they have a new owner. And, you know, Matt Ishbia is a guy who came in and made a big splash in getting Kevin Durant. Um, you know, he has no ties to Monty Williams. They don't go, they don't have a deep history. So I, I do think it's something that they need to explore. Uh, and, and for that matter, James Jones, too. I think he's in the same boat as well. Uh, just because of the newness of the new owner, a new owner comes in with new ideas. I don't. I don't know, Bob, if they will make a move there. Uh, Matt Ishbia doesn't seem to be a guy that – I mean, he at least has said that when he comes in, he's not going to make any quick decisions. But, you know, just the, with the way they flamed out and what they have invested in the team, uh, I think it's definitely something that, that deserves consideration. Whether or not money is the guy, I, I don't know. Uh, I can't answer that. But I do think it's something that just with the way they, they fizzled here in the series going forward, you have to explore it. 
Doug Howler with The Athletic here on KDUS AM 1060 in the extra points. So kind of along those lines, I mean, in the offseason heading into this particular season, the bench wasn't really addressed. You had the decision to insert Cam Johnson into the starting lineup. So that took away a bench production scorer for you. That's just one example. Then, of course, the big splashy trade for Kevin Durant, which further depleted the team's depth. So is it possible that this disappointment that the fan base is feeling uh, is really kind of stemming from you just want the team to do really well, but maybe there was this rosy picture painted that didn't really meet reality that the team as a whole wasn't set up for a championship run? Yeah, yeah, I think without question. It's perfectly reasonable to go back and look at that trade and say, was that the right choice? Um, I think the the fact that, you know, if you can get someone of Kevin Durant's caliber, um, you make that deal. I mean, because it it immediately elevates you to a championship contender. It didn't work out. But I think more than than that is, you know, they had, you know, Monty Williams had about, I don't know, 15 games or so, 20 games when they got Kevin Durant uh, to kind of figure out his rotation, his bench, to work with the guys that he had. And he didn't really utilize that time very well. I mean, he experimented a lot uh, during those eight games. I mean, T.J. Warren and Terrence Ross were buried on the bench. Then all of a sudden they were playing. Uh, same with Damian Lee. Uh, you know, during that, those eight games, they had Josh Okogie in the starting lineup. Then a playoff start. Torrey Craig is in the, is in the starting five. Uh, you know, next round, you know, Torrey Craig hardly gets off the bench at all. It, it, I mean, he just didn't. You know, I think that when it comes to the playoffs, guys need to know what's expected of them when they're coming off the bench. I mean, when, you, when you're in a playoff atmosphere and you haven't played in a couple games and all of a sudden you're thrown in there, it takes a while to get used to the intensity, the physicality, and the rotation was a mess uh, throughout the playoffs. I mean, he just did it by feel, and it just, it just was not an effective way to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, his hands were tied in a certain extent. Uh, you know, Denver had a better bench. The Clippers had a better bench, but I'm certain. I certainly think that they could have gotten more out of it than what they did. Durant shot 42 percent in this series. Um, also, he had four more turnovers in every game but one. Uh, you wrote uh, that uh, Durant instead looked too often like he was trying to find his place. How much of this is the fact that they didn't have time to play a lot of games together and so forth? How this? How much is Durant just wasn't good? Uh, all of it. Um, it's hard to say that a guy that I think he averaged close to thirty for the series wasn't good. But Bob, I I think it, it changed after game one when uh, you know Denver came out and beat them, and not only that, everyone wrote that the math didn't work, that Denver got up uh, seventeen more shots, that they. You know the the I, the differential from in three point production was enormous, and from there there was an emphasis on you know quick shots, you know being aggressive, and I felt like what what Kevin Durant did so well during the regular season uh, is you know he didn't force shots, you know he wasn't like Devin Booker gets into a habit of trying to draw contact and getting to the foul line, which works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. Kevin Durant didn't do that. I mean, every shot he took almost during the regular season, and I'm not exaggerating, almost every shot he took was makeable. <laughs> I mean, that, uh, and then in game two, you know, I noticed he came out and he was forcing shots. Now, did he need to force it a little bit? Maybe. But he, he just looked outside of his comfort zone, I felt, from games uh, two through six. And that's an odd thing to say for one of the great shot makers the game has seen. But he, to me, after after game one, he never looked comfortable. If you look at his shooting numbers, that I mean, <laughs> it supports it. I mean, he, I don't think he shot better than 50% uh, the rest of the way. And this is a guy that shot, you know, better than 50% for his entire career. 
Um, you know, he just didn't look comfortable. Me, and part of that was kind of playing off Devin Booker, who had elevated his game. But it just didn't seem like, you know, they kind of had a, a thing of, like, we'll figure it out. You go, I go. And I think Chris Paul had a lot to do with that, managing things when he was out on the court. And then when he went out, um, they just they just lost a lot of organization. They looked, they looked disorganized, I thought, for most of the series. Doug Haller with The Athletic here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. So a lot of this conversation really feels like we're at a crossroads, and maybe a lot of it we really just don't know because you mentioned new owner uh, Matt Ishbia. We're not really certain kind of what he wants to do or what stamp he wants to put on things. Uh, with that said, though, DeAndre Ayton, he obviously gets a lot of flack from Suns fans. He didn't play in Game 6 here. Um, is he on the roster next year for the Suns? Is he part of that crossroad process if i had to say right now i would say i would guess no that he will not be on the roster um i will also say that if someone had told me that the suns are going to lose this series in six games before the before game one i would i would have told you that deandre aiden will be blamed (laughs) because that is just how the nature of deandre aiden um and i think a lot of it goes back to him being the number one pick of the draft i think a lot of it goes to uh, the fact that he's athletic and seven foot tall and he has a decent shooting touch. But I think a lot of it goes to, you know, you just don't know what you're going to get from him every game. Uh, I think DeAndre Ayton thinks he's playing hard. In fact, I know he, 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 know, he thinks he's playing hard. And it doesn't always uh, look that way. Um, you know, they, what you have is you have a, a situation where you have a, a center making 30, set to make $30 million a year, a max player. And, the Suns don't use him in a max way anyway. Um, you know, with, with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker probing, you know, they don't need a max player at that position anymore. Um, you know, DeAndre could have made, it, made this decision a lot better for him. Uh, you know, if he was a guy that, even though he wasn't getting a lot of looks in the offense, that he was grabbing 15 to 18 rebounds every night. He wasn't. A lot of that had to do with Denver and particularly Jokic. But, um, you know, he didn't help himself. And I just don't see – you know, if they can find some way to, to deal him, uh, they could probably find someone who can who can put up his who can match his production at a much cheaper price. What should we make about Booker not addressing the media after the game last night? Uh, it's not a good look for him. Obviously, um, you know. It, <laughs> You know, Devin is so driven, and I've asked him uh, during my time covering the Suns just these last few months uh, different ways all the time, and he always just kind of gives me the same look. It's, you know, it all has to do with, you know, where his motivation and, uh, you know, the genesis of him becoming who he is. And, you know, it's not like there was a starting point just a couple years ago or even when he was uh, in his second year or whatever. He's always, he's always seen him getting to this point. Um so I understand uh, him blowing off, and I think he probably deserves a, a pass because he's been so good. He's been available um, just about every time that, or every time that I've been around the Suns. Uh, so I think he deserves a pass. But at the same time, you know, I mean, there was some talk about whether you know he, he was 100% with a foot injury. I think if you're out there, you need to be judged on what you're doing on the court. Uh, but you know. His minutes were were the storyline throughout the playoffs, playing so much, and I think that caught up to him. But, you know, I I don't blame him. Uh, I don't fault him, I guess, for blowing off the media. It is his job. It is his responsibility as a leader of the team and face of the organization. But I think he probably deserves a pass. 
Along those lines with Devin Booker, he didn't have a good game six. You mentioned uh, the foot ankle injury from game five. Don't know how much that was really impacting him. But what he had done in the Clippers series and previously in the Nuggets series here, how would you categorize him putting this team on his back like he did? And and should he be considered one of the best sons in a son's uniform during the playoffs? Without question. Um, you know, he, there, there's always two different kind of opinions on, on Devin Booker. There's one locally, uh, the people who have seen him since his, his rookie season and have watched him develop in the NBA. And then there's, you know, the national viewpoint, which kind of has always looked at him as a guy who is, you know, patted his stats on bad teams and, you know, maybe is, you know, maybe a top 15, top 20 player. I think he erased all that. Uh, I think for a good portion of the postseason, really up until game five, he was the best player in the playoff. Um, you know, I think he's elevated himself to superstar status. Um, you know, and it was interesting because everyone kind of figured, you know, there was so much attention on, on Kevin Durant that everyone kind of, you know, looked at Kevin Durant as 1A and Devin as 1B. And it was actually the opposite. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Devin is has positioned himself well. Um, you know, the fact that, <laughs> it ended it way he had his worst game of the series. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think anyone knows for sure. Even Monty Williams said he didn't know. I don't know if, he's, if he was telling the truth about how much he was, how, how much soreness he was playing through. But I, I do think it had to do with the minutes. Um, Devin said throughout the series. I asked him after Game Five in Denver if the workload was catching up to him. He just looked at me and said no. Uh, but you know, if you look at just the entire time and the play, the grind of the playoffs and when it becomes you know, every other night and, you know, you get the series lasts the six games and then there's another series. I just think that that has to play an effect on someone who uh, is relied upon so much. Last up for me, uh, you know, Chris Paul, will he return next season? As you wrote, Paul's contract not fully guaranteed. Yeah, I would lean toward no, Bob. I mean, there's they would have to pay $15 million to pay, uh, to pay him off for him to leave. That's the buyout there. Uh, but, you know, Chris, I thought uh, last season still had star moments. Um, and, you know, we saw that at certain times in the playoffs, despite, you know, his, his injury history. Uh, this year, I felt like there was a significant decline. I, I think there was part of an organizational um, plan to kind of get him as, as much rest as possible during the regular season. Um, I think that, that was reflected in some of the, you know, the games that he played. Uh, or did not play, but you know, I just felt like there was a huge decline from age 37 or from last year to this year. He he just turned 38. Well, next year he's going to be playing, and you know, I think it's reasonable to expect you know another you know drop in his production. Um, I think he he's, he has great value when he's out there. He's a presence. I think the Suns missed him tremendously this series when he was out, but I just don't know if it makes much sense to bring back uh, a point guard at a 30 at that age with a 30 million dollar price tag doug we greatly appreciate you making some accommodations for us this morning and we look forward to catching up with you down the road here about the suns and much more happening around the valley all right well i appreciate uh you guys having me and i enjoy talking to you guys once again he is doug howler there with the athletic